1: 630 Chad, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Huh. All right, now. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite team. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630
0: Chad.
2: 2-1 Flyers leading the Islanders. They are 90 seconds into the third period. Islanders have a minute 15 left on a power play. Philly must win to stay alive later. Vancouver must win against Vegas to stay alive. Thatcher Demko, the expected starter and goal for the Canucks in that game. The Blue Jays in a 2-2 tie with Miami. That one is now in the uh, top of the eighth. One of the new Blue Jays, Robbie Ray. Came on uh, in relief tonight, pitched three and a third, gave up four hits and one earned run, two runs total. Uh, Jonathan VR in the lineup, 0 for three with an RBI and a strikeout. He's another new acquisition. The Blue Jays, 18 and 15 on the season. FC Edmonton trailing at the half. Of course, the Canadian Premier League playing its season in PEI, and they are trailing the York 9-1-0 at halftime. And uh, as I mentioned, and we're going to bring in Paul Sur from Basketball Alberta to talk about this and uh, another exciting new initiative. But Paul, will start here. Celtics 102, Raptors 99. Celtics outscored the Raptors by 11 in the fourth quarter. They lead the series two games to nothing. Paul, what is going on with the Raptors? Why can they not beat Boston
1: read they just Boston just seems to have Toronto's number and they have all year for whatever reason Toronto just can't find its rhythm against Boston I think uh, Brad Stevens does a great job of disrupting the Raptors on offense and defensively the Raptors played better but to get outscored by 11 in the fourth to have the lead that they had going into the fourth and lose this game this one really hurts
2: well, and uh, smart for the Celtics goes six from eleven from three point range. Uh, Tatum scored thirty four for the Celtics, and uh, yeah, I mean, but I, I really thought I, I watched most of this game. Well, here is the thing: first of all, game one, I wasn't able to watch the first half, but I thought, okay, great, I'll, I'll be able to watch the second half, and I turned it on, and Boston's up twenty, and then uh, today I, I watched pretty much the entire game, and I thought, okay, there it looks like the Raptors got it figured out, and they, you know, they had that kind of six eight point lead. And then it just, then they just couldn't hit anything. I mean, is it just was it just big shots today, or was there something else going on?
1: I think it was big shots. I think you hit it on the head. They they had good looks, Reed. They just didn't make them. And the signature of the Raptors during the season was they had confidence and they they hit shots. But uh, it's it's so strange, uh, and I know it happens in all sports, but certainly in basketball, sometimes there are just teams that you're a little tighter against, that you're a little less confident than you are most against most of the other teams, and that seems to be the Celtics right now. So we were here a year ago, uh, and, and some, when Milwaukee was up 2 nothing. Now we're going to find out, does Toronto have that ability, once again, to dig down and dig their way out of this hole that they've gotten themselves into being down 2-0?
2: Yeah, and I mean, I don't want to act like this is some amazing upset because I mean it's the the two Boston's against good. the three. But yeah, I mean Boston's a good team, but it's I guess I guess that's a sign of the the expectations are are now high for the Raptors when you win a championship, right? And you didn't like there was because Kawhi left, right, and Green left, but the the te- it's still a great team. So I mean, it's not it's not as if he, it, this doesn't come down to well they they don't have Kawhi now. They still have a
1: lot of they still have a lot of great players. They haven't really missed a beat without him. They should have. I mean, it comes. In, you hit it on the head. They missed shots, and they should have won this game today with the lead they had in the fourth quarter. Tatum really presents matchup problems for the Raptors. They have not been able to figure out how to defend him. Well, Ananobi can't handle him. Siakam can't handle him. The thing about Tatum, and there have been a lot of a lot of attention paid to, particularly by Raptors fans, that who's better, Pascal Siakam or Jason Tatum? I mean, clearly Tatum is a more sophisticated offensive player than Siakam is. Siakam is great with his energy and his effort, but that's one area that the Celtics do an outstanding job is they really seem to bother Siakam in his rhythm. The other thing is you've got Marcus Smart, who's a a, a decent three-point shooter. He's 11 for 20. In the first two games, oh, geez. I mean, you, you give, you've just given up 22 points in two games, on um, or no, uh, no, 33 points. 33, yeah. Games. I was thinking 3x3 there uh, with a two-pointer, but I it, 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 33 points in two games to a guy who is not a great shooter. But unlike the Raptors, he's hitting the open shots that he's getting, and the Raptors are one of those defensive teams, along with Milwaukee. That will allow players to take three-point shots. And the thing with the three, as you know, Reed, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. If you get hot shooting the three, that really hurts you. That really hurts your opponent's chances of winning.
2: I'm glad you brought up the three-point shot because uh, one of my buddies and I we got looking into into basketball stats when when one of our uh, nights when we might have been enjoying a a beverage or two and looking up trivia on our phones and all that kind of stuff. And Larry Bird has this reputation. uh, Well, I mean, he was the the best shooter of his era. But even Larry Bird in his prime attempted fewer than two three-pointers per game. I mean, it's incredible when you look at the box scores from the late '80s and the early '90s, and now today. I mean, the Celtics took 38 three pointers, and the Raptors took 40. And I was watching some of the game this afternoon with my dad, and I said, "Look at all five guys are on the perimeter." What yeah. teams? What? I'll kind of put you on the spot here, Paul. I know, like I know, there's 30 teams in the league, but what NBA teams? who has a game that revolves around an inside presence like how Shaq might have been the focus of his offense and he would back guys down does anybody do that anymore
1: not really it's one of the it, it, it's a dis, it's a disappearing part of the game of somebody who just goes into the low block and uh goes to work as as a lot of people say look at Joel Embiid he's 73 You know, 800 pounds. I mean, the guy's a monster. He's absolutely physically, if if Joel Embiid buried himself in the block read and you consistently look to go to him, don't you think he could have almost Shaq-like numbers down in the low block? Because physically, he's probably the player that's closest to Shaq. He's not Shaq as powerful as Shaq was, but he's not far off. But he doesn't want to do that. He wants to go outside and shoot the three, which he's okay at, face up at the basket and go to the rim. And there are other great uh, low-post players, but they're primarily passers as opposed to aggressive low-post scorers. So the game really has changed, and analytics, I think, is a big part of it. Layups are threes, layups are threes, which is why a lot of people, myself included, criticize the league going too much that way, as opposed to more low post and more mid-range games. Like, to me, the perfect game is is Kawhi Leonard. He can Mm -hmm. shoot the three, he can shoot the pull-up, and he can post up down low. He's the perfect NBA player right now, but but most of the analytics in the league force people and force teams to live and die by the three, and it's great when they go in, and it sucks when they don't. And for the Raptors today, it, it... They weren't hitting the shots when they needed them in the fourth quarter, and now they're going to have to find their confidence again. Paul,
2: Surf from Basketball Alberta and Canada Basketball joining us tonight uh, on Inside Sports. I, I got I to get some thoughts here on Jamel Murray from the Nuggets as well, the Canadian. I think it's 142 points in his last three games coming into tonight. And Denver yeah. leads Utah, by the way, 35-23, about yeah. four minutes into the second quarter. I mean, Canadian basketball come such a long way. But, uh, man, Murray's riding high right now.
1: About 10 days ago, I was being interviewed, and I said, and we were, and the and we were discussing Jamal Murray. And I said, you know, Jamal's a great second option. I think, you know, I think we're all seeing that, you know, some games he's going to have 25, the next game he might have 15. And then right after that uh, discussion, which shows how, how brilliant I really am, Reed. Uh, he goes off for, uh, you know, 142 points in three games, carries the nuggets on his shoulders and has them positioned now, although there's a lot of basketball Left to be played in this game, but he has them positioned to win this series, and it's all because of Jamal Murray. The guy's remarkable. He, he's you, you can't you can't measure his heart, but one thing you can measure is how hard he's worked, and that is the constant with the great players is the hours that they spend in the gym when no one's watching. And Jamal Murray, that's how he this game is through consistent hard work over and above. And my gosh, the young man is, is right before our eyes becoming one of the premier players in the NBA. And boy, is that exciting to see? Well, that's,
2: that's a good point and, and good for him. And, and it's cool that Canadians are following him. And Paul, it's funny. Whenever I, I talk to somebody from uh, Denver, like another uh, media member or somebody who covers the avalanche they usually point out that the the Nuggets are a distant fourth there in the, on the pro sports scene. So maybe this will even help them in their own city uh, a little bit. Paul Sir checking in tonight from uh, Basketball Alberta. And of course, you also have a very important role with Canada Basketball. You're the Managing Director of 3X3 Basketball Development. Paul, this is so exciting. The Edmonton Expo Centre is now the home of Canada's 3X3 Training Centre. Tell us a little bit about working this out.
1: Uh, All kinds of credit has to go to the Expo Center and uh, their manager, Arlindo Gomes, because Arlindo, who I've developed a a strong relationship with over time with the uh, Expo Center being the home for the Edmonton Stingers, the CEBL champion Edmonton Stingers, and wanting to get more involved in basketball. So uh, I came to Arlindo with this concept of, uh, you know, we're, we're in this weird time with COVID and uh, there's a lot of space. I think uh, the Expo Center is the second biggest exhibition hall in the country. Uh, and, and said, what if we were to put our 3X3 court and basket in there and set it up as a training center? And uh, we, we worked on the details and he and his staff put it together. So we've had it up for a few weeks. We tested it out. So now it's official. It is the 3X3 training center. And what we've been able to do is, uh, of course, the, the team Edmonton, uh, who is qualified on behalf of Canada for the Olympic qualifying tournament, uh, was hoped to be this year, but will be next. They're training there, but they're also bringing in other teams. And right now we're looking and depending on how the rollout and back to play uh experiences go now with COVID, we may even be running some 3x3 events in there this year. So oh, we're awesome. extremely excited that uh, our guys have a place to train, that our women have a place to train. And uh, in this time of COVID and with gyms really being, uh really having it be up in the air that most of the gyms still aren't available to the public, to have a facility to go to with all the protocols in place is really exciting for our team.
2: All right, and, and the Canadian uh, men that are playing to qualify for the Olympics, because that was supposed to be this past spring. And this is—is uh, is, is it Steve, Sir, Jordan Baker, and Jordan Jensen White, and Kyle Landry? Is that still the four guys? That's still the four guys. They're the top ranked uh, Canadian three X three. Okay, so do we have a date and location for the the qualifying tournament now, or are we still like a lot of other sports
1: wait, waiting and seeing? Yeah. What do we know there? It's it's going to be, I forget the name of the city in Austria. It's going to be in Austria in May next year. That's the okay. targeted date. I think the likelihood of that going through right now would appear to be real high. There's actually a series of uh, what what are called Masters FIBA Masters events taking place right now in Debrecen, Hungary. Uh, they're doing three tournaments in one week. Uh, they had one over the weekend, took a day off. Now they have another tournament. They're going to take two days off, and then they'll have a third. And if that goes successfully, that could be the start of a number of other 3x3 tournaments, high-level tournaments around the world, Uh, one including in Montreal. And there's still some discussion with Edmonton, although I doubt that will happen in 2020. Montreal may be hosting a a high-level Viva event. But uh, the likelihood of it going ahead, Reid, I would say right now is good. But okay. <laughs> like everything, there's an asterisk <laughs> by everything well, was it right a, now.
2: Was it around this time last year that the tournaments were in Edmonton and then the Ploofs won at West Edmonton Mall? Was that last August and September?
1: That was in September. Yeah. Wow, the, time flies. The Ploofs, uh, the Ploofs won handily in mid-September, and then we had the men's event in late September. So, yeah, that, that's already a year ago.
2: Jeez. Yeah, I was like th- and then I re- I was remembering, I was like yeah, I think I was covering where there's training camp when it's <laughs> yes, like
1: wait a were. minute that was yes. that was different. Right. I mean, it's just it's just absolutely who 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 would have thought a year ago we would having we would be having this conversation talking about the 2020 NBA season and NHL seasons being completed in the month of September. Have you? Uh, what's it been like?
2: I, mean, I know you're a big sports fan. Like you, you watch, yeah. uh, you you watch, uh, you watch hockey as well as as NBA and yeah. basketball. What's it been like for you watching the games uh, without the fans? Has it pulled you in the same way?
1: You know, in some, for uh, this shows what uh, I'm a nerd. So, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I love it because I don't. Then I'm not distracted by the fans. I'm not a big fan of the crowd shots and all of that. I really like the basketball, and and I have to say. What surprised me pleasantly so the most, Reed, is the level of play. You know, and I can speak mostly to the NBA, uh, but the the level of play has been very high. I mean, look at what Luka Doncic did without fans. I mean, I think what you see is you see the professionalism of these athletes, but you see how finely tuned, how highly trained, and how remarkably competitive they are in their respective sports. That, yeah, they, they miss the fans, and you know, there's not quite as many chest bumps, and not it's not quite as flamboyant. But again, for a basketball purist like me, I don't miss that. What I like is the skill that's on display, the competitiveness, the drive to win. I, I just love that, and 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 I, I think you get a little more of a raw feel for what the game is actually about. So for me, it's been great. It's been enjoyable for sure.
2: Paul, it's great to have you on the show again. Thanks for your thoughts on the Raptors and congratulations in getting the three X three training center going at the Edmonton Expo Center. Uh, you know, with and I know there's other people involved, but you've done such a great job just promoting basketball and and uh, making Edmonton a great place to play for for the high level players all the way down to the grassroots kids who are for just learning the sports. So good for you, and thanks so much
1: for coming on the show. Kind words, Reed. I appreciate it, and it's always a lot of fun to talk with you.
2: Right on. That is Paul Sir checking in tonight on Inside Sports.
1: Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers, representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. Seven minutes left in the third
2: period. Philadelphia up 3-1 on the New York Islanders. And uh, finally, some players scoring for Philadelphia who had not been scoring. Giroux gets his first... Van Reemsdijk, who'd been sat out a couple of games, gets his first. Matt Niskanen also scores his first as well, though not the uh, high scorer like the other two guys. Josh Bailey, his third of the playoffs for the Islanders. That opened the scoring early in the second period. So the Flyers looking good right now to stay alive. We'll keep you updated on that one. The Canucks will try to stay alive. 7.45 faceoff at Rogers Place. Game four against the Golden Knights, or game five against the Golden Knights, and Thatcher Demko expected to be the goaltender for Vancouver in that one. 780-496-0063 is how you can interact. What song was that there, Kellen? That was Coming Home by Sons of Apollo by our champ, Roadhammer. Roadhammer with a request. Roadhammer, the one and only champ of the Sylvan Lake Alliance of Wrestling, the SWA. Roadhammer proudly holding that belt for a little over a year now. And by the way, we had Amanda Rummery on the show earlier. I should I should remind people, if there's a, a story idea, a, a, an athlete that you think would be great to profile, especially at this time of year, I mean, uh, the Oilers are out. We're not going to have any CFL. Don't hesitate to make a pitch to, to Dave Campbell and me. InsideSports at 630Ched.com is uh, the email. You can DM us on Twitter. Uh, we'd love to hear your suggestions. We've, we've got uh, a lot of really cool story ideas from you, the listener. We'll back after the news.
1: Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers. Representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. Brock Nelson has scored for the New York Islanders. Now 255
2: left in the third period. The Flyers leading the Islanders. 3-2. The Islanders scored the first goal of the game. Philly came back with three in a row and now Nelson scoring. So the Islanders will push here to tie it up. The Flyers will try to defend and stay alive and force game six. About 10 minutes away from dropping the puck at Rogers Place. It's going to be the Vegas Golden Knights and the Vancouver Canucks with Vegas up three games to one. The Raptors down two games to nothing against Boston. Boston coming from behind in the fourth to win at 102-99. The other NBA game is uh, in the still a first-round game tonight. Game seven in the West between Denver and Utah, and the Nuggets lead at 48-31. The Blue Jays lose 3-2 to the Marlins, and FC Edmonton down 1-0 to the York 9 early in the second half in the Canadian Premier League and the Islanders have tied it. I think it was Brassard got it with 2:41 left in the third and the New York Islanders are amazing. They do not go away. They they this might be the most Dogged performance I've seen by a playoff team in a long time. Mm-hmm. They just absolutely stay with it. They have four lines that can come at you. i you sure they have some pretty high-end offensive players? Barzell is a great player. Jordan Everly still produces, but but really, it's just everybody coming at you, but checking, playing responsible defensively, getting decent goaltending, and they just never quit. So Clutterbuck centers it, tipped off a flyer, and Broussard in front backhands it up high past Carter Hart. So the Islanders absolutely will uh, not go away. And we'll keep you updated on that one. Not sure now if we'll have a resolution before the end of the show. Here's the thing playoff hockey, and we saw all the things, the little things the Oilers didn't do. And you see all the little things that the Islanders do do. And it, Barry Trotz, I think you got to hand it to him. Fourth winningest coach in NHL history. Most of his teams have been successful to some degree. He didn't have ultimate playoff success until he got to Washington. But I, I still look at this Islanders roster, and I think, okay, it's a pretty good roster. And they, they do have four pretty solid lines. But I still feel like they're overachieving. But it's just absolute commitment and uh, persistence and determination and, and responsible play. Now, having said that, if they beat Philadelphia uh, I don't think they beat Tampa Bay. And I know maybe now there's more injury concerns with Tampa Bay, but I think that Tampa Bay is also playing a very dogged, persistent game. And I think they have higher end skill than the Islanders. And I think Vasilevsky a better goaltender than whoever the Islanders put in. And I think the best defenseman in that series would be Victor Hedman. So I, I do not think the Islanders could keep going past this round, but you got to admire what they're doing and they just do not go away. We'll see if they can win this one. Overtime looming there in Toronto. 3-3, a minute 20 left in the third period. 780 is how you can get in touch. That's the number to both call and text. Really appreciate you tuning in tonight. Hope you're having a great day. Looks like it could be a little uh, stormy and rainy in the morning, so we'll see how that plays out. Man, September 1st, this is this is a really significant day in, in Canadian history, and, and it's for, from doing this job, a lot of people, uh, you get asked some unexpected questions sometimes. I'm use, I'm used to them now, but it's uh, people want you to 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 rank something. Who's who's the best? Who is who's the best? My my buddy texted me. Uh, he lives in Vancouver now. Originally from Ottawa, uh, lived in Edmonton for a few years. Really loved Edmonton. Uh, now he's in BC, and he said, "Is Alfonso Davies the best Edmonton athlete ever?" and i said well no and, and he and he said well he just was on the champions league winning team i said well yeah like he's incredible and but i mean for me to call somebody the best ever from a city or from a region that's that's a career or that's a, a, a something that takes a, a decade or longer now granted alfonso davies is probably already the best canadian soccer player of all time but that's a pretty low bar to clear so I mean absolutely maybe if you'd let me look if you say who's the best Edmonton area athlete of all time well, Mark Messier is from St. Albert and you get into, and we talk a lot about hockey in, in this area, but you know, Kevin Martin is the greatest curler of all time. He'd have to be one of Edmonton's greatest athletes of all time, you know, Olympians and maybe sports that don't get uh, a lot of attention. I think would be in the mix, maybe 10 years from now, it's going to be Davies and Messier and that'll be it, it on the list. So anyway, just an example of, of somebody you have to rank. And then of course you get into who's the greatest Canadian athlete of all time. What's the greatest Canadian athletic achievement and Gretzky, incredible seasons and Mario Lemieux's incredible seasons and, and again you can find a whole bunch of great Olympians and Donovan Bailey obviously and his performances in Atlanta winning the 100 meters and then the 4x100 but there's a, there's a person and an, and an accomplishment and an attempted accomplishment that to me trumps everything because it is an athletic feat and it is an athletic achievement, it is an athletic in Denver endeavor it wasn't a competition but it was something very physical and very noble. And I, I'm sure many of you know where I'm going with this, and that is that is Terry Fox. And it's what he was doing, and quite frankly, the, the fact that he didn't finish his secondary, because he still did a heck of a lot more than anybody else has ever done. Um, it, you know, if someone came up to me and said, uh, Reed, I think Terry Fox is is the greatest Canadian athlete of all time, I couldn't argue. Or if someone said, of all the things Canadians have achieved in sports and athletics, I think Terry Fox's Marathon of Hope is at the top of the list. I could not argue with that. And again, it wasn't an Olympic event. It's not where he was trying to win a medal. He was trying to raise money. He was trying to uh, raise awareness. He was trying to achieve something and the reason i'm talking about this today you may have already, already seen this it was 40 years ago today that that he had to call it off he had to call off his marathon of hope just outside thunder bay he wasn't feeling well and then uh got checked out and unfortunately his his cancer had had returned and then in you know a few months later in 1981 terry fox uh passed away his legacy lives on terry fox runs and just somebody who is still uh, talked about and revered in in this country. And I I want to acknowledge today in 1980, when this was, was going on, I was six years old and I remember being aware of it. Um, You know, I knew he, he had an artificial leg and and I knew that he had had cancer and he wanted to run across the country. I don't think I understood quite the, the gravity of of some of the things involved in that, but as as I get older, I, I almost feel like I appreciate it even more, and I get I get more emotional about it. And I'm going to apologize here in advance because when I listen to this clip this afternoon, I will I will fully admit that there I, I was I was tearing up. And this clip would be, uh, I guess, from September 2nd, 1980, so 40 years ago tomorrow. And I saw the video of the news story. It was on CBC. Nolton Nash, some of you might remember him, was the news anchor. And uh, Terry Fox is being interviewed. And he's kind of on a stretcher. looks like he's about to go off in an ambulance or something. And his parents are are there with him as he's speaking. And um, well, here it is. Terry Fox uh, announcing in 1980 why he has to stop his Marathon of Hope.
0: Yesterday I was running, and I had noticed a little bit of hardness in breathing. And at the end, near the end of the day, 18 miles, um, I was coughing and choking, and had pain in my neck and my chest. And I did three more miles, and I had to. I decided I had to go see doctor. And it was discovered then that uh, I had primary. Originally, I had primary cancer in my knee three and a half years ago. And uh, that the cancer had spread. And now I've got cancer in my lungs. And uh, we got to go home and, tr- and try and do some more treatment. But, uh
1: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All I can say is that if
0: there's any way I can get out there again and finish it, I will.
2: It's Terry Fox 40 years ago, and unfortunately, he uh, he couldn't finish. He inspired others like Rick Hansen and Steve Fonio to, um, to do their own uh, runs or, or wheels, I guess, in, in Hansen's case. And, of course, Terry Fox... Um, Eventually passed away on June twenty eighth, nineteen eighty one, and it was uh, forty years ago today. He had to stop his run near near Thunder Bay. I I, I I listened to that clip a couple times earlier today. Listening to it just now, it it still makes me emotional. And it, it is it is a sporting achievement. It is an athletic achievement, and and it is so much more. And that's why I I truly consider it one of the greatest accomplishments, achievements, whatever you want to call it in, in Canadian history and athletically. I mean, he was, he was basically running a marathon a day on an artificial leg. And, um, this wasn't the, You know the artificial legs you see with uh, that that athletes are are fortunate to use now if if they're competing at a high level event he had to have that uh, he had to insert that hop into his gait while his his artificial leg kind of caught up with the rest of his stride and and if you read about him and I was reading some articles today and. And sort of refreshing my memories. It didn't start off great. He started in the Maritimes, didn't have some good weather, wasn't getting a lot of support, and it kind of picked up steam in Quebec and into Ontario. And he got some big receptions in Ottawa and Toronto, and was was really feeling inspired and. I mean, he's an, he's an absolute Canadian hero, and uh, I, I just it was just important for, for me to talk about him tonight, and I'm sure for those of you who remember him, it's, it's something that's going to stick with you for a long time. And I'll tell you what, if, if you're under the age of 40 or 35 where you can't quite remember Terry Fox, take a second, read something, uh, watch a video, talk to somebody who remembers, uh, get acquainted with the story. I just think it's a really important part of Canada. 780 496 0063 is the number to call or text. We'll take a quick timeout at 745.
0: Hi, this is Zach Cassian from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Ched.
2: All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Vancouver and Vegas about to get underway and it is overtime coming for Philadelphia and the New York Islanders. Got an email from Barbara inside sports at six three chad.com. She says you are either incredibly unaware of soccer or incredibly dismissive of female athletes. Best Canadian soccer player of all time is Christine Sinclair, also the world's top scorer in uh, men or women. Well, talking about male players with Alfonso Davies, Barbara, and I, I got to say I I really take ex- exception to that message, given that on this show we have profiled. Uh, a lot of female athletes uh, over the years, including having uh, a local Paralympian off the top of the show tonight. So, if I mean, if that's the attitude you're going to take uh, towards my attitude towards female athletics or inside sports attitudes towards female athletics, you are absolutely 100% uh wrong like quite frankly I, I i think that's a really unfair text to send to this host and to this show and cl- clearly with alfonso davies we're talking about men i mean i wasn't even talking about uh christine sinclair or or women's soccer i was talking about something that a conversation a buddy had, had uh had brought up i appreciate your listening barbara but i just think you are way out of line sending a text like that to this show and quite frankly that uh you're wrong to, to, to suggest that to me or this show. Okay, so that's my blunt response to what you wrote in. But I appreciate your listening and I appreciate you interacting. You're entitled to your opinion, but to twist everything that way and to, you know, when I'm talking about Terry Fox and telling a story and then for you to throw that back is is, is really out of line. And usually I, I wouldn't, you know, go back at a listener like this to this extent, Barbara. But that's just that's a crap take on your part. Okay, so let's just leave it at that. 780-496-0063 is uh, how you can reach out inside sports at 630chat.com. So, uh, yeah, we were talking about Terry Fox. A couple of texts coming in tonight with uh, with remembering Terry and his his achievements. So, really incredible when you think about what he, what he tried to accomplish. Uh, and it really some emotional stuff reading about him. And, and one of the things that I was reading today was that when he said he – he wanted to do this. Uh, he said his mom was, uh, or the story goes, his mother was initially very skeptical. And uh, he told his mom, I thought you'd be one of the first people who would support me. And instead, you're one of the first people kind of trying to shoot me down or, or discourage me. And um, he said that kind of st- stuck with his mom. So... Something else. I I really, I really get emotional talking about Terry Fox. I, 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 I'm sorry. I I thought I could keep it together, but there's just so many elements of the story that uh, um, are are really quite emotional. Just everything he was attempting to do and, and the way it, uh, you know, the way he he had to stop, but you heard in that clip how he still was hoping to get back out on the road and, and, and run again and, and all that kind of stuff. And then that he ultimately, passed away and that his legacy still, uh, lives on. So, I mean, taken from us far too soon, 22 years of age. And I mean, another thing too, like he wasn't, he wasn't a runner and he wasn't, he wasn't some super athlete, um, like I was reading today, he struggled to make his, he wasn't a very good basketball team. I think his first year on his high school basketball team, he played like one minute. And then uh, by the time he got to grade 12, he was the athlete of the year in his, in his school. And then he, he got cancer and had the, the, his leg amputated and decided, okay, I, I've, I've heard that amputees can, can run marathons, So I'm going to run a marathon. But this whole time he was plotting, well, maybe I'll run a marathon and then see if I can do that every day and go across the entire country. So, so you know it's it's uh it's it's pretty remarkable and and it is sad but he's an incredible rallying point for Canadians and I hope he will be for a long time even after those of us who remember him are are gone because it's 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 such an incredible story. All right. Vegas and Vancouver underway uh, a minute into the game. Now, no score. Thatcher Demko in net tonight for the uh, Vancouver Canucks. The Oilers goaltending certainly going to be a big story. Once we get into the off season, had somebody text in earlier about, uh, you know, do you go after Corpus Allo? Do you go after uh, Anderson out of Toronto? Do you go after uh, Markstrom, if he's available, Mark Andre Fleury? I, I think, I'd bring in somebody like that, you know, even flurry on a one or two year deal. I I think that you got to have some serious questions about Mike Smith and bringing him back at this point. I I was critical of some of Koskinen's performance in the postseason. I thought he was pretty good at times. I I think he got swimming around in some situations and lost his net. And that led to some pucks going in that, that probably he should have stopped. And I know the orders didn't defend overly well, but you need your goalie to bail you out. And, and somebody, somebody said to me, uh, a commentator from another market I was talking to a few weeks ago, said to me, I don't like Koskinen's game. I can't stand big goaltenders who play small. And I think that was sometimes a, a problem for Costen, who I think is probably a pretty good backup goaltender. I, I just don't think he's a number one. He could probably be a, a 30 game goaltender for the Oilers or for some team at this point. But um, I, I, I mean, I mean, we've seen it, he's not a 50 to 60 game guy. So they, they may go into the next situation maybe like this year where, They play about an even number of games. And then if you make the playoffs, then... You go from there and maybe, and you and you see who's hotter, or maybe you have a guy who's more experienced in the postseason and you can ride that out. Uh, this texture says a new goalie won't change it. See, I disagree with that, and I'm going to tell you why. Uh, I, I, Goaltending is the most important position on the ice, and you see it in hockey over and over again. And, and a, a goaltender can change everything. And when the Oilers made the playoffs in 2016 17 and went to the second round, it's not like they were some spectacular lockdown defending team. I think they improved defensively. You know, they, they added Sekera, they, they, uh, they added Russell and I guess they'd had Sekera the year before, but you know, they were, they were a little better, but Talbot had the year of his life. I mean, how many times did he bail out the orders with a, with a big save? So I, I think there is nothing as, there is nothing as transformative to a team as, as getting a, a top-notch goaltender or a really good, reliable goaltender. And you see it in the playoffs all the time. I mean, teams give up good chances. Now, even the teams that check the best all the time and are, are structured and committed and all those things we talk about and all the cliches with the 200-foot game, they still give up chances. They still give up two-on-ones. They still give up shots from the slot. And you have a goaltender that reliably makes those big saves. I, I just think it is transformative. It's uplifting to the team. It makes you feel confident. It makes you feel better about attacking at the other end. And and that's why I think it's such a priority for the Oilers. So Philadelphia, oh, speaking of goaltender, big save there. Big save by Barlamov. And he keeps the game alive. It's in overtime. Philadelphia and the New York Islanders tied 3-3. Early on, no score Vancouver and Vegas. Raptors lost, so they're down 2-0 to the Celtics. They lost by three. The Nuggets taking it to Utah, 55-37. Start of the third quarter. Blue Jays lost 3-2 to the Marlins. Kelly Rudy scheduled to be on the show tomorrow. Thanks to Dave Campbell, the producer of Inside Sports. Kellen Kennedy is your studio producer this evening. My name is Reed. Take care.